Okay, we'd like to welcome you back to part two of our current event and weekly Bible study for December 20th, 2009. We're going to continue our question and answer session, um, the good, the bad, the ugly. And, um, oh, I forgot to tell you, the, the guy that wrote me in the last one about the Twilight, his, his email address, this first part was Psycho Squid Crazy. I don't want to give you the full email address. That's not appropriate. But uh, and and in these, just so you know, I've taken out the actual email addresses of the people that have emailed me because I'm not about bringing wrath down on people. I don't ever want to do that. But anyway, we got this. Is another thing. Be careful. Sometimes I've seen really, really off the wall email addresses from some Christians that have emailed me, and I'll typically mention it to them because we are to abstain from all appearance of evil. If you've got like some like really psychopathic uh, email address and you say you're a born-again Christian, it kind of gives the, let's say, the non-Christian you're emailing a really weird impression of you. Just something to think about, just a little thing there, but it, it could mean you never know how might, much of a stumbling block that may be to somebody. So let's go further. This is from Don. He said a sad excerpt from the New York Times interview of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, it, it was a link, I believe, he sent me. I, I feel abortion is one of the most evil elements that is going on in our country today. Is it possible that this, meaning the abortions, are a blood sacrifice similar to the Jewish Holocaust perpetuated by the Nazis in World War II to eliminate the Jews? Okay, so here's my response. Oh, yes, most definitely this the abortion industry as a whole is a blood sacrifice. Um, now, I get into this specifically in the teachings below in the attachment. I give you the teachings, but the, the name of the teachings, if you just want to key them into my search box, is Massacre of Innocence, the Occult Roots of Abortion. Now, in that, I prove that a huge percentage of abortion clinics are actually owned and operated by practicing witches and warlocks. And I'm not making this up. I'm talking this is legally documented on file because they're associated with other witchcraft groups. They view the sacrifices that take place in abortion clinics as sacrifices to Artemis or Lilith. I don't know. Maybe some of them would use some of the old pagan name deities like Molik and Chemosh. Uh, Marduk. These same spirits which are very powerful, emanate and operate through and from these abortion clinics. So if you go there to pray, these are specific spirits I would come against specifically in prayer. Come against them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because um, this is probably the largest abomination in God's eyes going on on the planet today is the abortion industry. You're killing innocent unborn babies in the womb and it's all done in the privacy of the womb to make it more palatable and it's mass child sacrifice on a global scale over one billion since they've started recording abortions. Now I know that a lot of the statistics say you know, 50 million in America since Roe versus Wade. But I'm talking globally. It's, God just doesn't care about the babies that were sacrificed in America. He cares about it globally. I'm talking about globally, one billion little innocent babies, their blood being shed 
And the way Satan views it as a sacrifice to one of the very many pantheon of devil fallen angelic gods, their blood being spilled on the land, and the Bible is very clear that innocent blood defiles the land. You wonder one of the, another big reason why the world is so wicked and so corrupted is because of all this innocent blood that's been shed, particularly since the abortion industry came into being. It's enabled people to, for the sake of convenience, to get these, and uh, you know that God has to judge. There's, there's going to come a point where God has to judge that. It, it, he'd have to. You just can't spill that much innocent blood and for God just to sit back and never do anything about it. So I do believe there's very, very hard times ahead. And this is why you need to be as right with the Lord as possible. Um, and, be pray, and pray that you be accounted worthy to escape all the things that are coming upon this world. Because the, Jesus even said that in, in regard to the end times. So pray that you be accounted worthy to escape all the things that are coming upon the world and stand before the Son of Man. Pray, see my, my teaching on Psalm 64 and precatory prayers regarding the wicked um, and the biblical keys to answered prayer. If you just key in prayer in this keyword search box, I'll give you about three or four different sermon teachings I've done there where we get into those subjects further in depth. Because a lot of times I have that question. Well, what do I do? You know, these people are panicking and, you know, Look to the Word of God. Have faith. You know, there's a lot of different things you can do, and I get into those on the teachings I just mentioned. Okay, let's go further. Uh, another question. This is um, from Lindsay. Hi, Dr. Johnson. I'm wondering if you can point me to a direction. I had a fellow Christian who refuses to think that God killed people, especially in the Old Testament. They believe that God is a God of love and not a God that his love some and not a God that in his love sometimes he must kill the bad around his children. Can you point me somewhere? Well, again, this is something that he could do as easily as I can. Okay, Go up to Blue Letter Bible, and um, you can key in the Lord and the, 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 the um, word slew, which is an old, you know, kind of a, KJV type of word, S-L-E-W. Let's see if God ever killed anybody in the Bible. And this is just a small cross sampling here, okay? Genesis 38.7, in Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord slew him. I'd say it's pretty obvious. He slew Ur. I wonder if that's where we get the word Ur from. It's kind of like the first part of it. I don't know. He was wicked in the sight of the Lord. Remember what I said? The Bible says that the wicked go astray from the womb. That doesn't... You can't go much further back than the womb. They speak lies as soon as they be born. Well, hey, it's... Again, you can say it's unfair, but this is not my rule book. It's the Lord's, the Bible. So if you get mad, get mad at God, not me. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Genesis 38.10 And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Here's another person God slew. And it came to pass, the Pharaoh would hardly let us go, that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. There's a, a case where God slew all the little baby firstborn in the land of, of Egypt. Oh, that's not the God I serve. Well, you need to really think that thing through. 
Remember, the Bible says his ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. We can't comprehend the ways and thoughts of Father God, the Lord Jesus Christ. That we, we can't do that. So we can, get, we can sit here, and this is a big reason people don't get saved too. Well, I'm not going to serve a God like this. He, you know, I'm not going to. Okay, fine. You've just invented your own religion because you think you're better than God is what you're saying. Because if you were God, you wouldn't do it that way. Well, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. What is that? It's pride. And it's an excuse that they don't have to answer to a holy God, but they're going to have to answer unto him anyway. At the great white throne judgment, which is where you then get cast into the lake of fire for eternity. Well, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Galatians 4.16 Because most people, they'd hear that and they'd get all mad at me. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. We want to go to the judgment seat of Christ, even though that's not going to be a picnic. If you're saved, that's where you go, the judgment seat of Christ, to give an account of things done in, in the body. Okay? But the unsaved people go to the great white throne judgment. They get taken out of hell, they go to the great white throne judgment, and then they get cast into the lake of fire. You don't want to be at the great white throne judgment. So, uh, let's go further. Exodus 13.15 I sacrifice to the Lord all that open openeth the matrix. The matrix meaning, really, I, I really believe um, that word means like the cervix of the woman. This is, the Lord opens the womb, in other words, okay? I sacrifice to the Lord all that open the matrix, being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel. Mean, discomfited means they were not comforted. They were discomforted. And slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. Um, yeah, and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. And chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth Horon and smote them at Ezekiah and unto Mekedah. Now that was Joshua 10.10. 10. Or maybe I'm getting this a little bit. No, that okay, that was still Exodus 13, 15, I believe. Okay, so it says right here, God slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. Again, you get enough of a watered-down Bible, they're not going to say anything more against homosexuality. They're not there. I saw this sodomite the other day on TV, and he says, Whenever I go to hotel rooms, I make sure I tear out. He got all the pages, all the verses memorized where the, all the verses that pertain to um, gay people, he rips them out of the Bible. That's what he does at every hotel room he goes to. <laughs> doesn't mean it's not there. It doesn't mean it's not part of the Word of God. The, the judgment for, for, for um, being a uh, gay or lesbian in the Old Testament, or bisexual or whatever, or, or being uh, into bestiality, the judgment for that was death. It was death. It was a death penalty. You know? Um, why? Because they didn't want that sin to enter into the camp and defile the whole camp and bring judgment down on the whole camp. Why? Because a little leaven, leaven of the whole lump. Leaven is like yeast. Yeast, you put a little bit in the dough, it leavens the whole thing. It permeates through, it affects the whole thing. That's why they did it. Uh, and it came to pass, as they fled from before Israel and were, and were going down to Beth Horon, that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them 
unto Azekai, and they died. The Lord did this. He cast great stones from heaven upon them at Ezekiah, and they died. They were more which died with the hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. Hey, listen, I'm sorry. This is the way God, particularly in the Old Testament, operated. And I believe we're coming back to a time when we're going to see more of this type of thing. I mean, let me ask you a question. If God actually rained down great stones from heaven on this Copenhagen Convention, if God did, I'm not telling us to do it, because we're not called to go out and mandate and go kill and slaughter people, but if God did it, how could you explain that away if it happened? How, how could you explain that? Well, it was just a freak thing. Great stones fell from heaven out of the sky and went right through the building and crushed all the delegates. All these wicked, wicked, illuminati, devils. Do you think that if that happened, all men would fear and declare the work of God that they would wisely consider his doing? That the righteous would be glad in the Lord and trusted him and all the upright heart would glory? That's Psalm 64. The Bible says, but God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded, so they shall make their own tongues to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away, and all men shall fear, and shall declare the work of God, for they shall wisely consider of his doing. So, when God judges wickedness, my point here is when God judges wickedness, it's always a good, good thing. People get saved. Great fear falls upon people. People contemplate God. People understand that there's a consequence to sin. I'm telling you, God's judgment is what we need. It's what we need. And the Bible says judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. Oh, boy. Are we in for it in America? Particularly in America. I'm not saying other places aren't going to get it either, but... Oh, boy. Um, so, then we have Judges 14.19. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Okay, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and slew thirty men of them, and took their spoil, and gave charge of the garments unto them which were expounded in the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. It said the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he did this. Killed thirty guys, took their spoil, and gave the charge of the garments. Why? Well, they were obviously bad people. He was doing God's work. Now, again, I don't see that mandate in the New Testament for us to go around killing people. But these are some different examples where God did kill people. And guaranteed, the fruit of that slaughter was always good. And for the reasons that I've mentioned. So anyway, that's kind of an interesting thing there. Uh, let's see here. Next question. Uh, here, this is, this is from Julio. Brother Scott, first let me apologize for this long email. I've heard your sermons for about seven months. I keep finding ones that you mention holy water. And you say that there is no mention of holy water in the Bible, but I found it in Numbers. Is this the same holy water the Catholics use and talk about? It's <laughs> a good question, though. It's a good question. I'm not laughing at him. I just Some of these are cool uh, topics. I understand that nothing that comes out of the Catholic Church is clean, but they did take this passage in the Bible and used it for their own agenda. But did they take this passage and use it for their own agenda? Numbers 5.17 And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel, and the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle the priest shall take and put into the water. So in this case, 
they had a way of consecrating water in an earthen vessel, and then they took dust that is in the floor, and they put it into the water. Um, and then it goes on to say some other things they did, and then it says in the verse 17, Okay, and then he says, I'm also putting a link to the non-Christian site where I've seen the usage of holy water and how they came to use it. And again, this is a great example of one more other little pseudo-Christian cult out there. And they're everywhere. And, you know, the internet's a blessing and a curse. Because you've got all of this heresy that anybody, anybody's brother can go up there and put up and act like there's some authority... They get in some little pet niche doctrine and they just want to camp in that one little pet niche doctrine and act like they're so holy and so much better because they've been shown this and nobody else has been shown it and you better follow me or you're going to hell. Oh, I don't can't tell you how many times I encountered this. I tell you, these people do not understand that they're going to have to stand before God and give an account. Most of them are going to stand at the great white throne judgment. And they're going to have to witness how many people they ended up taking to hell because of their stubborn, wicked pride and their wanting to have draw disciples after them. And they were just one more of the grievous wolves that entered into the flock, not sparing the flock. They're just one of many. That's why the book of Jude says that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. For there were certain men that crept in unawares, men of old, who were ordained unto this condemnation. Said they were ordained. What does that imply? It implies they were preordained to this condemnation. The wicked go astray from the womb. They speak lies as soon as they be born. If Satan can manifest as an angel of light, the Bible says it's no marvel that his ministers can transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. They appear as ministers of righteousness, but they serve Satan. This is why you've got to check every single pastor that you would dare put yourself under, especially in today's day and age, against the King James Bible to see if he's lining up. Because if he's not, you need to get away from him. Why? And this is another huge reason why cults are so dangerous. Because if you go and you camp yourself there in that church or in that given cult, and at first you say, ah, I, don't, I don't really get into this guy, but I'm just going to go back to humor myself. You know what's going to happen to you? The Bible says, of whom a man is overcome, the same he is brought into bondage. You will eventually be overcome by the spirits that emanate and operate through that cult or through that man or through that church. And they are spirits there. The Bible says we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes, principalities, rulers of wickedness in high places. That's what we battle against. Okay, So if we're battling against that, and that the weapons of a warfare are not carnal, but mighty through the pulling down of strongholds, if we're battling against unseen forces, and the Bible's very clear on that, Ephesians 6, and this is why it tells us to put on the full armor of God as well, if that's where our true battle is, and you're going to one of these places that's presenting another gospel, a false gospel, some pet doctrine, don't think you're not going to be overcome eventually by those devils and demons that emanate and operate through that person or through that institution. You've got to be real careful who you put yourself under. I, I'm more and more every day. I'm seeing this. Yeah. I've learned stuff just in the last week that I, I can't even believe about certain ministries. It's just unbelievable. Uh, very um, 
And a lot of times people will find these things out and they just give up on God. They just give up. Well, you know, the thing about it is, is God's going to test you. And if there's something that can make you turn away from God, then that's probably the very thing that's going to happen to you. God will test you. It's called the trial of our faith. And it talks about it in uh, Revelation 3. Where it talks about the Laodicean church, the lukewarm church that was neither hot nor cold. But it's actually, in God's eyes, it's weak, naked, wretched, blind. And then he said, you know, I counsel thee to buy the gold tried in the fire. The, the, this gold, this is the, really the trial of our faith. And um, if, there's, if there's things that make you give up on God, that you say, well, I, I, I can do this, but I'm not going to do that. So you have to understand, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, live inside you as a born-again Christian. You can do, I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. I can do all things through Christ. So if there's something that you say, oh, I can't do that, you're thinking about doing that in the flesh. Don't think about doing it in the flesh. Think about the Holy Spirit empowering you to do it when the time comes. And have that faith to believe that you can do it. Why? Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. And faith cometh by um, hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It always boils back to faith. It really does. It really boils back to our whole Christian walk, boils back to faith and having the, the true belief in that faith to walk through the faith that you've been given. And, and, and another interesting thing that um, the Bible says that God has appointed to every man, particularly this would, this would imply a, uh, a Christian, more so I would believe, he's imparted every man a measure of faith. So not everybody has the same faith level as the next person. But God's not going to give you more than you can handle either. And God can increase your faith. If you need more faith, you can ask for more. Okay? He giveth to all and upbraideth not. Okay? He, he's, he, you can ask for it. Just ask in faith that he can do that. Strengthen your faith. So, anyway, uh, my response to this thing about holy water. I said, listen, I said, I'm sorry, but I checked the link you forwarded. And in it, in this link, it said... These ritual, this is a quote from the website, these ritual purifications by water prefigured Christian baptism, which we recall when we bless ourselves, cross ourselves like the Catholics do, using holy water upon entering our churches. In other words, this is a Catholic cult, is what we're dealing with. Devoutly blessing oneself with holy water remits Venial sins. Are you kidding me? You know what they're saying? They're saying the blood of Jesus Christ isn't good enough to pay your sins. Confessing your sins and forsaking... No, that's not enough. No, 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 no. you got to have the holy water. You show me any Bible for that. Where holy water remits sins. Remitting meaning to basically pay for that sin. Or to wipe it or blot it out. That is total blasphemy. Now, if he would have read this a little bit more in depth, he probably would have stumbled onto that. With all, and then I said, with all due respect, this is pure blasphemy, as only the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can atone for our sins. One obscure verse in the Old Testament, regarding the verse that he showed me, cannot justify this Catholic practice. 
there is no mention of this in the New Testament at all, and if you believe the statement above, it could literally be a matter of heaven or hell for you. Why? Why do I say that? Because if you believe that you can get your sins remitted from anything other than the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are deluded and deceived. Jesus Christ was the perfect lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. That's what the Bible says. His blood paid our sin debt. Okay? Whereby we have you know, means to obtain salvation through his finished work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. If you believe that making a sign of the cross, which is actually a cursed sign, the Bible, and I've done a whole teaching on the cross, the cross of Christ versus the cursed tree. Okay, there's a big difference there. But the Bible says, cursed be everyone that hangeth upon a tree. It wasn't something that was like a good thing was viewed as the cross, okay? The cross was the very means by which our Savior was was slaughtered and killed, okay? Well, anyway, they think that devoutly blessing oneself with holy water remits of Says, If you think that, boy, you are deluded and most likely on your way to hell because you have a totally false gospel you're believing in. It's that important. It really is. Uh, as salve- And then I say... Um, uh, the, the, one other point I want to make. One obscure verse in the Old Testament that applied to the Jewish Levitical priesthood cannot justify this Catholic modern-day practice. Um, salvation depends on the blood of Jesus Christ to pay our sin debt and his finished work on the cross. And then I give a link, and I will have this whole, most of this PDF, almost all the questions that you're hearing today will be available uh, in a PDF format up on the internet. So you can go and click on these links. But I listed a whole link to all these Catholic heresies and pagan traditions. And it's a whole link you can click on on all these pagan things they do in the Catholic Church. All Catholicism is is repackaged paganism. That's all it is. When Constantine started this in 318 um, and essentially was literally considered the first pope, he had to appease both the pagans and the pseudo-Christians, because I don't believe a true Christian would join this pagan, idolatrous mess. And this is where we also get the pagan holidays of Christmas and Ishtar, Easter, and a lot of this other garbage. They're repackaged. All Christmas is is, is repackaged a holiday called Saturnalia that the Romans celebrated. They celebrated the birth of the sun god, Tammuz. And they used all the same things we did today, the tree, the bulbs, the whole nine, the wreaths. You know what the wreath stands for, just so you know? You know what the wreath stands for? It stands for the female reproductive organ. Everything about it were about the fertility rites. Everything. The candles on the tree, those were symbolic of male phalluses. The tree itself was blasphemy. Everything, you could go into all the different symbols and it's all about fertility rights and the birth of the sun god Tammuz. But what the Catholic Church did is they changed everything. And they said, oh no, it's not about the birth of the sun god Tammuz. At least they didn't say it to the Christians. They said it to the pagans. Yeah, it really does mean that. But to the Christians we say, no, no, no. It's about the birth of the son of God, Jesus Christ. See, so they changed it from the birth of the sun god Tammuz to the birth of Jesus Christ, the son of God. They repackaged it paganized it, and put it up there. And witches and warlocks know this, and they laugh at us.
for celebrating their pagan holidays. They think it's they think it's hilarious. In fact, the email that I just put out on that, that's I quote right from a witchcraft book. Right from a practicing witch. She just lays it right out. So flagrantly obvious. And yet, I can't tell you how many Christians still email me and still want to get into debates and arguments with me and defend Xmas, which is what I call it, because I don't think Christ should have anything to do with it. They still want to defend it. I can't tell you how many. I don't even want to debate with them. The, ev- the evidence is so overwhelming. I don't have time. I've already looked into it. The evidence is so overwhelming, whether it's Ishtar, whether it's Valentine's Day, whether it's uh, Xmas. Most people don't want to try to defend Halloween. I mean, they know better. But, you know, they, they, they incorporate the Christian stuff into that, too. Or they try to. The churches do. There's all kinds of churches. They have their spooky nights and all this other stuff, and then All Saints Day, and, and try to incorporate it into, oh, we, we need to do something to give the kitties the candy and all this other stuff. It's all an abomination in the sight of God. It's idolatry. It's an abomination. And here's another thing you have to ask yourself. Why, if the world is so obsessed with it, and so loving it, and so participating in it, why, if the world is so... in, I mean, even Obama lit the Christmas tree. And he's as anti-Christian as you can possibly get. Why, if they're so obsessed with it, and if they're so approving of it, why would a Christian want anything to do with it? If it was really, truly holy, and good, and righteous... Why would of all people Obama have no problem with it? He's as anti-Christian as you can possibly get. He's the most anti-Christian president we've ever had, openly. That's another question, just to think about. Um, this, I got this from this Catholic site. It said, Holy water, mixed with a pinch of salt and blessed by the priest, was authorized in 850 A.D. That's when it came into practice. And in this, this link I give you, you can go through and see when all the little pagan things were introduced into the Catholic Church. All the little things, whether it's the sun, the, the wafer, the monstrance, or whatever stupid thing they started doing that was concocted and created by man through a demonic inspiration. You can go look at it. Work, just one more workspace for religion. All Catholicism is is the largest pseudo-Christian cult on the planet. Pseudo-Christian, meaning it's a false Christian. And they're going to take millions and millions and millions of people to hell. And it's that big of a deal. Yes, it is. Lake of fire for eternity is where they're going to end up if they don't get out of that. And they were also the ones that orchestrated the Inquisition. and They've killed literally millions and millions of people. And I've, I give you a whole bunch of links here. I've done so many links on the Catholic Church. You can just key in, you can go to my uh, PDF I'll put up on the internet, or you can go to the search box on my homepage and just key in Catholic or part of the Word. You'll see all the teachings there. I mean, I want to expose as much evil as possible. So let's go to the next question. Um, <clears throat> this one is from Gulami. I think I got his name right. Gulami? I don't know. Sorry. Hi, I have previously sent you an email which you did not respond to. doesn't matter since I know you're a busy man and that you can can very easily, harshly judge and criticize people's and their personal life. That's a good way if if you're really trying to really, you know, he he didn't pull any punches. Anyway, 
um, I forgive you for that. Okay, so I'm easily, harshly judging and criticizing people in their personal life. Well, basically what you're hearing today is what I pretty much do. And I've told you that if I got what I deserved, I'd get death and hell. I'm not saying I'm the gold standard. I'm just pointing out things that are obvious, flagrantly obvious, and comparing them with Scripture. Okay, so... Um, anyway, he starts out by saying, I previously sent an email which you did not respond to. And then he says, it doesn't matter since I know you are a busy man and that you can very easily judge, harshly judge and criticize people's own personal life. Okay, now, my, my response here is, what does this have to do with me not responding to him? I have a lot of people do this to me in the course of writing an email. They state something little or big, or they, they state some little or big dig. Ever hear that word, they dig you? You know, not like I dig you like I like you, but they, it's like a dig. They state some little or big condemnation, and then they keep writing like nothing was ever said. It's like they've got this pent-up animosity to me, and they write something, and they say something, you know, sometimes overtly nasty, and then they just keep going like they never said anything. It's like their subconscious is coming out. That's fine, you know, that's fine. Everybody's got their right to an opinion. Um, I will say this. I tried to respond to him in this email on two or three different occasions. Guess what? The email came back to me every time as undeliverable. So if sometimes I respond to somebody and they don't get a response back from me, they think I'm ignoring them, it came back to me undeliverable, what am I supposed to do? I take all this time to actually respond to somebody. That really burns me. And then, I, and then it says, oh, invalid email address. Great, well, <laughs> you know. Then I'm condemned even more. And then he says, moving forward, I have this question and concern. You have probably seen the movie Secret Beginnings of America as I did. You probably saw the part that believes that the true Shakespeare is, in fact, the infamous Fran Francis Bacon. Now, I don't want to be blasphemous or anything of that kind, but I am concerned about something. I have heard something a few years ago which caught my attention, but, the but I categorically rejected it. I laughed about because of its apparent absurdity. Some supposed expert on Freemasonry holds the claim that the King James Bible was, in fact, written by Sir Francis Bacon, and I'm going to get into this, and his Rosicrucian entourage back then. It indeed coincides with the date the KJV was written. It caught my attention today while I was taking a look at the copy of the original 1611 King James Bible. You can see the rose cross at the beginnings and it's filled with weird symbols and I suppose it's not to be Christian nor biblical. I would greatly appreciate to know your point of view on that. Again, I think we're on the same line. Pretty much everything you could shed some light on me. So, I don't know. It's like he starts out kind of like with that thing and then he... Then he like it, it's like nothing happened okay I'm like okay so I said oh yes great question I have wrestled with this myself from my research I have come to the conclusion that after the 1611 KJV was published these symbols were then inserted by the publisher and the typesetters you have to understand the myriad of people that did the translation on the 1611 and there's a whole website devoted to this and I give you the link to it Okay, um, it's Jesus-is-lord.com, www.jesus-is-lord.com, and the full email address is then forward slash k-i-n-g king i-n-d-e dot h-t-m, okay, but 
you could just key in the first part and find it. Or I'll give you the links here you can click and do. He's got a whole page on defending King James and the translators and all the stuff that happened back in the day when this was actually written. Okay, so understand there's gobs of defense on this. A lot of people can throw out stuff and say, well, Shakespeare really wrote the King James Bible, and that was really Francis Bacon, who was a high-level, ultra-high-level Illuminati, essentially. Rosicrucian. Evil. Uh, to the core. It's real convenient to say that, because then you can discredit the whole King James Bible, you know, and, and throw all kind of doubt on the Word of God. So, you have to understand, this is part of the defense of the Word of God. And this is something that could be a tremendous stumbling block to somebody if they don't know how to defend this. So, uh, I say, these symbols were inserted by the publisher and the typesetters, obviously after the translation. Put it this way. The translation process in the King James Bible started in 1604 and went to 1611. Seven years of these myriad of different brilliant translators. Okay, And, and we break it, the, this link breaks them all down, tells you a little bit about them, and tells them the process, which was unbelievably painstaking. Far greater than anything we would do today to have a translation, like the NIV, or one of those. Okay, Far exceeding that. And after, I mean, they're not the ones that would insert pictures and symbols into the Bible. That would be the job of the typesetters and um, the, the publisher itself after they got the text. Okay. Then I go on to say, I say this because it is well documented the painstaking process of the KJV translators adhered to to the process of translating the KJV, which took place seven, seven years. Many high-ranking scholars were employed to do this. See below, I give you the link. Francis Bacon had nothing to do with the translations, but I cannot verify he may have not got his grubby little hands on the KJV via the publisher and the typesetters after it was translated. I, I wasn't there, okay? Some of those symbols I don't like. I admit it. I've seen it, okay? But I'm not going to explain it in a way like one guy I knew that did that wrote a whole book on it and tried to explain it in a way and actually Christianize these symbols. I read the book and I... I basically ripped it up. I, I, or, I don't know, maybe I've kept it. I think the explanation I gave makes a whole lot more sense. Because once it gets out of the translator's hands, it goes to the publishers and the typesetters, you know, then you've lost control of it, unless, you, unless you're um, uh, overseeing that process. So that's what I believe happened. So let's go to the next question. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay. It's from Michelle. First let me say my husband serves in Iraq, and I am a proud Christian American. Oh boy. Now that being said, I would like to explain to you the things that you are doing, which is a sin in and of itself. Personally, I was raised as a normal female, but was born with both male and female sex organs. I'll tell you what, this was not one that I was really thrilled about responding to. I have to admit it. I admit it. So anyway... says that, um, that being said, individuals who are born with female and male chrom- chromosomes and transsexual 
females and men born with abnormalities in their brain structure and body. How in the world can you judge these people and tell them, due to their medical disorder, they are going to hell? Now, um, the only sin taking place is your judgment and pure ignorance. So many of the people in my community turn to suicide because of people like you. You are not acting on God's behalf, and please stop pretending to be so. It's sick and it's sad. I will pray for your recovery from this hatred and ignorance. God bless you. Um, so, writing this, it says, how in the world can you judge these people? And, I, and I, I have a little comment to myself. Can't you just see them screaming hate crime? Which really, technically, you know, now with the hate crime laws passed, you can't say anything against the homosexuals at all. You're not supposed to. Not going to stop me. You know, but that's technically um, what they're doing here. And again, by never judging any of this, it's justification for their own debauchery and by these reasons that they just gave. Um, and then, and then after this, I got another letter from a person that admitted that. Then this person's admitted transsexual buddy emailed me and really gave me a piece of his or her mind. I don't know what it, she was or he was. So I got I got another email. I must have got on the gay forum that day, and they really wouldn't let me have it. Okay, here's my response. What are you talking about? I don't ever recall doing a teaching saying hermaphrodites, which is what a person is that has both male and female sex organs. I don't ever recall doing a teaching where I said hermaphrodites are all going to hell. You're right, it's not your fault. I mean, if you were born that way, I can't sit here and blame you for that. Okay? Uh... I'm not condemning you. We all have to get saved the same way regardless of your race or gender. Sorry you got that impression. But the other stuff you mentioned I totally disagree with from a biblical standpoint as no one is born as a man in a woman's body or vice versa. Those studies about the different brain structures that you talked about of gay men were totally doctored and biased towards giving homo, trans, bisexual, clinical and medical validity. See the attachment. I gave a whole attachment I gave her. And these links, uh, or this phrase. This is a phrase from one of these attachments. One of the most compelling articles to, dis to dispel the notion that homosexuality is genetically determined or fixed and unchangeable is, quote, the innate, immutable argument finds no basis in science in their own words. Gay activists speak about scientists' morality and philosophy by... Doctors A. Dean Byrne and Shirley Cox and Jeffrey Robinson. The essay is published on the National Association for Research and Therapy of the Homosexuality website. And it says, the authors of the study carefully quote a number of homosexual researchers. Homosexual researchers. That's like the fox guard in the hen house, okay? How can they not be biased? They've got to justify their sin some way. So now we've got homosexual researchers. Okay. So, the authors of the study carefully quote a number of homosexual researchers who have worked for years to locate a, quote, gay gene or some other genetic bias for homosexuality. They have failed and are now admitting that such evidence may never be found. Homosexual researcher Dean Hammer, for example, attempted to link male homosexuality to a bit of DNA located at the tip of the X chromosome. He has written, homosexuality is not purely genetic. Environmental factors play a role. There is not a single master gene uh, that makes people gay. I don't think we will ever be able to 
predict who will be gay. I mean, he even admits this, okay, that it's, um, it's not genetic. Homosexual researcher Simon LeVay, who studied the hypothalamic differences between the brains of homosexuals and heterosexual men, noted, quote, it's important to stress what I didn't find. I did not prove that homosexuality is genetic or find a genetic cause for being gay. I didn't show that gay men are born that way. The most common mistake people make in interpreting my work, nor did I locate a gay center in the brain. And that was from a gay guy. <laughs> so, then, homosexual researchers, Bailey and Pillard, conducted the famous twin study, um, quoted by homosexual activist groups to promote the idea that being gay is genetic. This was hailed by homosexual activists in the media as supposedly proving that homosexuality is genetic. The study actually proved the opposite. As Byrd noted, quote, this study actually proves support for environmental factors. Environmental factors mean non-genetic. Okay, now I'm going to explain what that means in a second. In short, the three most famous studies in recent years that homosexual activists used to claim their homosexuality is genetic prove no such thing. In fact, two of the authors of these studies admit their research has not proven a genetic bias to homosexuality. But the gays want to cite that, and they didn't even prove it. Even the gay people can't prove it. Now, when they say the study actually proves support for the environmental factors, what's a proven fact about homosexuality is that the vast majority of men or women that are homosexuals are typically molested by a same-sex partner, usually somebody in the family, at an early age. Okay? Like, a uh, little boy's molested by a man at an early age. He grows up, he's, now he's gay. Well, I was born that way. It's all I've ever known. Whatever. Doesn't mean you were born that way. Now, the Bible says the sins of the forefather are carried to the third and fourth generation. You could have demonic curses passing to a person uh, from generation to generation. Well, that's not fair. Well, I'm sorry, that's the way it is. That's how demonic infestation can continue through a family. And it can only be broken through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Um, also, one of the main ways, let's say they weren't born with any of these demons that are um, emanated and operating through a gay lifestyle. Let's say they were, they were born and they didn't have any of that. Well, okay, they get molested at an early age by a same-sex partner. It is well known in the occult, if you want to defile a child, the sooner you can molest the child, the better. Aleister Crowley bragged about it. There's many Satanists that start molesting their children from almost the day they're born. I hate to say that. It's sickening. But that's what happens. That is the reality of things. I did a whole study on pedophilia where we got into this. And it's not a study I ever want to revisit. But if you want to know more about it, click on that study for a gut-wrenching, probably the most gut-wrenching study I've ever done. Uh, it's a fact. Now, is it better to not never know about any of this? Well, why would you want to bury your head in the sand? You wouldn't even know to pray about it. If you thought, oh, no, no person's capable of that, well, then would you ever pray about it ever at all? Well, you don't think it's possible. Well, God wants people praying about this. Does he want us just ignoring it and saying, oh, it doesn't, doesn't ever happen? People get sacrificed on a lot of these holidays I just mentioned, in Satanism, in Luciferianism, at high levels. There's human sacrifices that are performed on Xmas night, on the 25th, on Yule, the 21st. 
There's human sacrifices being performed. And Ishtar, which has to be determined through astrology every year. If it was the date of Jesus' resurrection, why would it change? Why would they have to use the, the, the holiday of Ostara through astrology to determine when Ishtar falls on, or Easter? If it was true and valid, and if it was the day that Jesus was resurrected. Why? You ever think about that? I did a whole study on Ishtar, too. You can key in that one in on the search box. And the Bible says, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Galatians 4.16 My life's not a popularity contest. I'm not here to be popular or loved among all men. I'm here to give you the truth and the Bible. And I'm not saying I'm perfect, and I'm not saying I never mess up, okay? But to the best of my knowledge, I'm trying to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, that's what they've shown about gay people over and over again, is that is one of the main common denominators, is they get molested by a same-sex partner at an early age, what happens then? You ask an occultist, a high-level occultist, what happens when you molest a small child. They become demon-infested. You defile them at the earliest possible age, and they grow up that way, unless God intervenes in some way, shape, or form. That's the world we live in. I hate to say it, but it's, it is really that bad. Yes, it is. And it's because the church... Has, doesn't preach about this stuff and is totally silent on these issues, that there's probably hardly any prayer at all or any divine intervention. Because prayer is typically what moves God's hand. I'm not saying it's the only thing that moves God's hand, but it is one of the main things. Let's go further. Uh, let's see here. Um, okay, this is from Adrian... Hey Scott, this is Adrian. First off, I think you're doing a great service for a lot of Christians out there. I do have one question. I've listened to many of your studies. One in particular caught me off guard. I know all the about the Nephilim, the Giants, and the Ascended Masters, but you made a reference to the Book of Enoch, the Prophet, in a couple of studies. No, I didn't. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to see that right here. Adrian. Then they asked me about the Book of Enoch, the Prophet. Okay, Adrian, the specific book you're referring to, the Book of Enoch, the Prophet, was written by an occultist. See about the author. I actually looked the book up and saw the author. The author, his name is Alan Oaken, and is the founder and the director of the Wisdom School. Quote the Wisdom School. He is the author of hundreds of articles for various astrological and metaphysical magazines and journals. <laughs> it doesn't sound like somebody I would refer you to, does it? Also, he wrote over a dozen books, including Soul-Centered Astrology, a key to expanding yourself, the houses of the horoscope. That was my personal favorite. I mean, I, I have to admit, you know, I, I was really into that one. Just kidding. Anyway, and the rulers of the horoscope. An international loan, known lecturer and speaker. He speaks and writes in six languages and has taught in more than 30 countries. And I give him the link to the, this guy, who I do not recommend, obviously. Okay, so going forward, this, I tell him, this is not the book of Enoch I refer to. This is not the same one. Please see the attachment as there is a huge distinction that needs to be made. Pastor Ron Brown translated the book of Enoch I recommend, published by a Baptist theological press, and almost every page of this edition is cross-referenced with over 300 King James Bible scriptures, Old and New Testament. Okay, so the one that you want is just the book of Enoch by Pastor Ron Brown. 
That's the translation that you want. It's a blue hardback. You can, you can get it up on Amazon, but I don't recommend you go there. I don't buy anything off Amazon anymore because they sell all kind of like basically almost child pornography, gay how-to manuals, all kind of blasphemous stuff. I don't want to support them. Okay, I know they're convenient to use, but they're devils. Okay, so I don't recommend you go to um, Amazon.com. Amazon See, you know how you vote in a way? You vote through your purchasing. People say, well, um, this or that. Well, you do that everywhere you go. Every time you buy something, you're basically telling that store, I want this product. And this is something where a lot of times people say, um, with organic food, for instance, this is a way you can vote. If you buy, go to like a store, like for instance in our area, Publix, and you buy a lot of organic food, well, you're, you're telling the store that there's a demand there. And the greater the demand, the more likely they're going to want to produce that, and the more likely the pressure will be on the companies to make those types of good products. So it, it's... Just something to think about. Anyway, um, let's go further. Uh, <clears throat> oh, and then he responds back to me, and he says, uh, Thank you so much. I actually was looking for the very one, but no bookstores had them. They looked through diff 30 different versions, and they never found the blue hardback cover, the one with the KJV quotes. <laughs> they had 30 different versions, but they didn't have the good one. In other words, but now, well, that's typical of a Christian bookstore if you go. But now I know it's Ronald Brown and I will promptly burn the New Age occult version. Good job. That's what I say to him. One more thing. I have a boss who won't listen to me about the Bible because I'm 20 years old. The only thing I do is study the KJV Bible. Sometimes I wonder how my wife loves me so much. But I keep telling him about his NIV and he won't listen. He hasn't read the Bible, so please send me the missing scriptures from the NIV. Isaiah 14.12 almost did it when it takes out Lucifer's name and calls him the Morning Star. So he went to his 501c3 church and got some bogus justification, like the Greek says, whatever. So please send me the missing scriptures of them all. And then maybe he can be, maybe he can set aside his fake fellowship and realize some real fellowship. Uh, okay, when he refers to Isaiah 14.12... In the NIV, it renders it, how it the fallen from heaven, a Lucifer morning star. If you have an NIV reference Bible, it will take you to Revelation, where it refers to Jesus Christ as the bright and morning star. So if you have an NIV Bible, you'll get the false impression that Jesus and Satan, or Lucifer, are the same thing. I mean, that's really easy to see how that could happen. This is why it's very important that you have a KJV, which renders Isaiah 14.12 as it should be rendered. How art thou fallen from Lucifer, um, son of the morning? It doesn't say morning starts, it's son of the morning. Very important. You know, uh, the Bible says every word of the Lord is pure. He is a shield of them that put their trust in him. The words of the Lord are a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Okay, you could go on and on and on. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Those are all in Psalm 119. So, it's very important what version you've got. And um, uh, if you go up and you can, the letters KJV in the search box on my homepage on Sermon Audio. Okay, Sermon Audio, www.sermonaudio.com forward slash DR, as in doctor, DR Scott Johnson. Just 
key that into my search box, KJV, and then you'll see PDFs associated with those teachings, PDF files. Um, and you can click on there, and there's the documentation. And in some of those, I've got that NIV Bible quiz where it says, look up this verse in the NIV. And you look it up, and it's not there. And it's like right in the middle of some passage of Scripture. Well, why? Because the NIV and many other Bibles remove whole verses from the Bible because they figured, yeah, you didn't need that. That's why I say the NIV has 64,000 less, over 64,000 less words than the KJV. That's one of the ways they take them out. They remove whole verses. They literally will skip the verse. It'll, like, you'll be reading verse 17 and then you're in verse 19. But unless you're, like, paying attention to the verse numbers, which most people don't do, you're reading and you're just going right along. Well, if you look, they've literally taken the verse out. So, it's pretty amazing what they've done. Okay, let's go further. Um, then, oh, he says, please watch this. It only takes six minutes. So, I get a lot of this. Please watch this link. And what it is, is it's a Patriot guy playing the part of Thomas Paine. I was just up on a uh, website the other day. A guy sells um, dehydrated and freeze-dried food. Uh, I forget. It's, it's internet something. Really good site. In fact, it's probably the best site I would say you would go... Internet Grocer, I believe, is what it is. Best site I could see up there for actually getting really, really good deals on dehydrated, particularly dehydrated food and freeze-dried which really can maybe an incredibly important issue in the day and times coming because there's a lot of indication that we may have a food crisis next year. And those days are, I'll tell you what, they could use that as a massive control mechanism. I'm seeing a lot of this. And I would recommend that you get some dehydrated or the best value food and uh, go up to this internet grocer guy. He's very good deals. But... I mean, I believe he names the name of Christ, calls himself a Christian, but he's got all his favorite Thomas Paine quotes. And I said, Thomas Paine? In this video that I was sent, it was Thomas Paine in this Patriot video. Well, did you ever think to look who Thomas Paine is and what he stood for? Because this guy is, is beyond unbiblical. Here's my response. The problem with this video is this man is playing the part of Thomas Paine, who was one of the most Christ-hating devils that ever walked the planet. I remember I used to get this soap. It was that Dr. Bronner soap. And on, I had to stop buying it because on the label, it's like in like .001 font. I mean, it's so small you can barely read it. But it's all of these tiny, tiny quotes from Thomas Paine. And I would read this. Sometimes I'd be in the shower reading this, and I'm like thinking... Oh, what blasphemy! I would like want to throw the soap to the wall. You know, it was it was terrible. And I thought Thomas Paine is a devil. Well, here's some quotes from good old Thomas Paine. Just so you know, here's a few quotes from Thomas Paine's writings: "The Age of Reason." Quote: All of the systems of religion that were ever invented, there is no more derogatory to the Almighty, more unedifying to man, more repub more repugnant to reason and more contradictory than Christianity. That's what good old Thomas Paine thinks about Christianity. So if you like him, understand 
that you're yoking, in, in a way, you're yoking yourself up, you're in unity with this devil that said there is no more derogatory to the Almighty God or more unedifying to man or more repugnant to reason than, or more contradictory than Christianity. Now, if he was talking about Catholicism, I'd agree. Okay, but he just says, lumps everybody who would call themselves a Christian into that. Then he says, the study of theology, this is a quote, the study of theology as it stands in Christian churches is the study of nothing. It is founded on nothing and it rests on nothing. It proceeds by no authorities, it has no data, it can demonstrate nothing and admits no conclusion. You understand why I really don't like this guy? He's a devil. He took a lot of people to hell. And he still is. Because of whom a man has overcome, well, I'm a big Thomas Paine fan. Well, I tell you what, you better serve whom this day you're going to serve. Choose whom this day you're going to serve, like Joshua said. Because he doesn't serve God. This man hates the word of God. He hates Christianity. I go on to say, in the second part of the Age of Reason, he says, quote, the opinions I have advanced are the effect of the most clear and long-established conviction that the Bible and the Testament are impositions upon the world, that the fall of man, the account of Jesus Christ being the Son of God, and of his dying to appease the wrath of God and of salvation by that strange means, are all fabulous inventions. He's saying the Bible is totally a book of lies, is what Thomas Paine says. I'm quoting from him now. Can't accuse me of... of Whatever, I'm quoting. Then he goes on to say, dishonorable, um, basically the Bible's dishonorable to the wisdom and the power of the Almighty, that the only true religion is deism. Oh, so now he shows his true stinking colors. Deism is the only true religion. By which... I then meant and mean now the belief of one God and the imitation of his moral character or the practice of what are called moral virtue, virtues and that it was upon this only as far as religion is concerned that I rested all my hopes of happiness thereafter. So say I now, so help me God. Yeah, his God is Satan. That's the problem. What is deism? Well, here I'm going to give you the actual definition. Deism is a religious and philosophical belief that a supreme being created the universe. Now, deism is the absolute basis, guess what? For intelligent design. Did you know that? All this garbage about intelligent design, people automatically assume they mean biblical creationism. Some Christians assume that. It means nothing of the kind. All it means is that a supreme being created the universe and created us. Well, how's that bad? Because you have to understand where the people that are really behind intelligent design will take you back to is called the ancient astronaut theory, where they believe our little space brethren came here millions or billions of years ago and seeded Mother Gaia with humanity. Or, if it wasn't humanity in the form we have now walking upright, it was in the form of a two-celled amoeba. Then we get into the whole evolution thing where that evolved into, you know, a cockroach and the cockroach evolved into Gordon Gecko. And then, you know, we got then the uh, moose. Got, you can't leave out the moose in the missing link. You gotta have the moose. And then the dung beetle. 
Uh, of course, dung beetle was probably before the roach. Anyway, and then that evolved into a monkey, which evolved into us. Okay. Intelligent design is based, if you really, really study it back, on the ancient astronaut theory. And guess what? When all these ascended masters show up, most likely with Maitreya being at the forefront of them, and they show up and let's say it's in conjunction with all types of lying signs and wonders. Hmm, that's kind of funny because that's what the Bible says, how the devil was going to deceive the whole world, how the Antichrist and the false prophet, lying signs, wonders, and miracles, and we're being saturated with all these shows about these gigantic UFOs showing up, and that's the exact thing Matreya is saying. We're seeing in the skies now all over the place. UFOs, these star signs. Huh. Ah, there's probably no correlation there at all. I'm just probably blowing everything out of proportion. Anyway... Um, all of this brainwashing that we're getting right now, and when they show up, guess what? And guess what they've been telling people, the people that have been UFO abductees, the people that have had spirits channeling through them, the people that get their information from seances, or whatever, or through automatic writing, or through implanted thoughts, or through what these ascended masters say themselves. We were your creators. We created you. You've messed things up so bad. we got to come back and straighten it all out and usher you into the age of Aquarius, out of the age of Pisces. All of your religions have got everything wrong, particularly Christianity. And we created you, and we're going to come back and straighten it all out. That's the whole premise behind deism and intelligent design. Just so you know, a little FYI, that's what's really going on. Now, I've done... One or two studies on intelligent design, you can key that in on the search box, and uh, you'll, you'll know more about that. Okay, so let's go further. The definition of deism. Um, deism is a religious and philosophical belief that the supreme being created the universe, and that this and religious truth in general can be determined by using reason and observation of the natural world alone. What is that? What Bible verse comes out? There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. This is the religion that a ton of people have, probably including my mom. Why? Because people say, well, I believe in God. I just don't believe he'd do this or he'd do that. I believe by my own, what I've seen occur in the world, I believe God is this. I believe God wouldn't do this. What are you doing? You've just invented your own open-ended religion where, hey, anything goes. It's crazy. It's a wild and crazy religion. I can do and say whatever I want. Oh, God wouldn't do that. Well, then you've just become your own God, small g, which everybody wants to be. A lot of people do. Well, wasn't that the same temptation in the Garden of Eden to Eve? You should be as God's. Isn't, wasn't that the temptation he offered her? Wasn't that the carrot he dangled out in front of her so she would um, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Hmm. Same deal. Same devil. Different day. His tactics haven't changed. So, uh, let's see here. So, this religion is based on using reason and observation of the natural world alone without a need for either faith or organized religion. Deists tend to reject the notion of divine intervention in human affairs, such as miracles and revelations, but not necessarily. He also wrote, uh, this is me, um, Thomas Paine also wrote an essay on the origin of the Freemasons. Now, almost 100% that 
Benjamin Franklin was also a deist. A lot of those early church father guys were that. They weren't all born-again, Bible-believing Christians like a lot of us have been told. I'm not saying they were all evil. I'm saying that a lot of them were high-ranking Freemasons like George Washington, Benjamin Franklin. He was in the Hellfire Club. He was a deist. The Hellfire Club was really wicked, nasty, bad, bad. You know, anyway... um, Thomas Paine also wrote an essay on the origins of the Freemasonry. Uh, about That was the actual name of the book. It, was, um, it says about the Bible being allegorical and myth describing astrology. He says, here's what Thomas Paine says, The Christian religion is a parody on the worship of the sun. Wow, where are we hearing a lot of this? Could it be the zeitgeist? With that whole teaching I did on the zeitgeist and the zeitgeist addendum, where they've come out, all these new agers are coming out of the woodwork trying to say, oh, Jesus Christ, all he is is a knockoff of the sun god Horus. His whole thing's been repeated all through pagan religions all over the place. We soundly refute that in those teachings that I did. I don't have time to go into it today, but if you want to know more, just key in zeitgeist in the search box on my homepage. But he says, yeah, the Christian religion is a parody on the worship of the sun. Well, that's what they try to turn it into with Christmas in particular. Why? Because Saturnalia, as I've said before, which it originally was, December 25th, that the Romans celebrated, that they incorporated into the paganistic uh, pseudo-Christian Catholic Church, starting around 318, I mean, it didn't happen until a little bit later when Constantine took it over. They take this and they paganize Saturnalia, which is a uh, celebrating the birth of the sun god Tammuz, you know, Nimrod, Samaramus, Tammuz? Well, yeah, that. So, he's saying that the Christian religion is a parody on the worship of the sun, in which they put a man called Christ in place of the sun and pay him adoration um, originally paid to the sun. That's what, that's what blasphemous Thomas Paine said. And then he described himself as a deist, saying, how different is Christianity to the pure Simple profession of deism. The true deist has but one deity. In his religion consists in the contemplating power, wisdom, and benignity. That's a word I need to use more. Benignity. Anyway, benignity of the deity of his works. I guess the benign, uh, all the power and the wisdom and the benignness of his own works. Oh, my word. The Bible says, For we are all together as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness, or all of our works, are as filthy rags, essentially before God. And we all do doth together fade as doth a leaf. That's what the Bible thinks about us on our best day, doing our best works, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he thinks about our works. I mean, works cannot save you. And this is almost what every single religion in this whole world is based on. Works-based religion. And um, this is obviously what he believes in, too. Oh, I'm a good person. I'm a good deist. I'm benign. I'm I'm benevolent. I'm good. Oh, yeah. I mean, by your standards, I guess you are. But not by God's. When he looks at you, the only way you're going to get saved is if he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. (laughs) I mean, if he sees the Holy Spirit, the blood of Jesus Christ, yeah, but not any other way. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. That's what the Bible says. 
we are cleansed, we are justified, we are sanctified through the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in His shed blood. So, this other stuff is just garbage that we're talking about here, deism. Uh, and then it goes on to say, in endeavoring to imitate Him in everything moral, science, scientifical, and mechanical, evidently in everything trying to imitate God, and this com the, this this um, quotes that I got. Guess what website it came from? Now these are quotes from Thomas Paine from the Age of Reason. Guess what the name of the website is? You're gonna love this. <laughs> HTTP forward slash forward slash proudatheist.wordpress.com. Proudatheist. <laughs> so these are people that don't even believe in God. Why would you even call yourself a deist? Because the uh, the Bible or it does say the deist believes in a you know, supreme being that created the universe. Atheists, I, from what I can know, they don't even believe that. So, anyway. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty wacky stuff here. Okay, I'm going to end part two here. God bless you.